Welcome to At The Movies at Gulfside Church. If this is your first time here, you have arrived on a very special series where we take stories that are familiar, that are part of our culture, that communicate things that are, that are felt and experienced. We're taking those and we're helping connect, use those stories to connect God's truth. And the reason we do this, and the, one of the reasons is, first, it's fun. Like, it's fun to go back and use some of these. But second, when you look through Jesus' teachings, we have about 49 times where when Jesus was teaching, he used parables, he used storytelling, he used cultural events that were happening, he used metaphors to communicate the truth of what God wants us to understand. Because that's really the heartbeat of what Scripture is. It's not things that God wants you to just memorize and, and details to ha- have stuck in your brain. But it's information that he wants to transform your behavior, to transform your heart, to lead you towards eternal life, new life that is only found in him. And and through storytelling, we tend to just remember truth better. When we're given an instruction, it's easy to forget, but when we're given a story, it's easy to remember. And so that's what we're doing in this series uh, for for one more week after this. It's a three-week series. And, And today's movie that we're going to look at as we also look at scripture together is from Beauty and the Beast. So if you have any kids with you today that may not like the scenes with the beast, just to want to throw that out there. There's some intense scenes. You might want to send them to kids ministry, but it's going to be a great day together. We're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a well-known passage. It is the love chapter. If you've been to a wedding at any point in history, they probably read part of this chapter. I know it happened at my wedding. It's a familiar text, but it's got some encouraging words. And we're going to be looking at what love is supposed to be like today. So if you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians 13 will also project the words on the screen behind me. And it says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such a faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't have, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Today we're going to look at uh, that, this famous story that, that we've all seen. We, we've seen the cartoon, we've seen plays, we've maybe read the books, and, and it's a story that's familiar. And what we're going to be looking at through a few clips today is really kind of the opposite of an example. It's like the example you don't want to follow. We're going to be looking at the beast and, and what's going on in his heart as we look at what Scripture describes of how love is supposed to look. And we're going to look at a few clips and, and look at some Scripture today, and we're going to kick it off with this first clip. Once upon a time in the hidden heart of France, a handsome young prince lived in a beautiful castle. (laughs) Although he had everything his heart desired, the prince was selfish and unkind. Master, it's time. 
He taxed the village to fill his castle with the most beautiful objects. Oui, maître. And his parties with the most beautiful people. Then one night, an unexpected intruder arrived at the castle, seeking shelter from the bitter storm. As a gift, she offered the prince a single rose. <laughs> Repulsed by her haggard appearance, the prince turned the woman away. But she warned him not to be deceived by appearances. For beauty is found within. When he dismissed her again, the old woman's outward appearance melted away. To reveal a beautiful enchantress. The prince begged for forgiveness, but it was too late. For she had seen that there was no love in his heart. As punishment, she transformed him into a hideous beast placed a powerful spell on the castle and all who lived there. As days bled into years, the prince and his servants were forgotten by the world, for the enchantress had erased all memory of them from the minds of the people they loved. But the rose she had offered was truly an enchanted rose. If he could learn to love another and earn their love in return by the time the last petal fell, the spell would be broken. If not, he would be doomed to remain a beast for all time. As the years passed, he fell into despair and lost all hope. For who could ever learn to love a beast? The line in there where she says she could see that there was no love in his heart. It's one of, those difficult trans, uh, one of those difficult situations where on the outside it looks like the beast had, or the beast, I don't even know the prince's name. Do we have any major Disney fans who know his name? I don't even know if he has a name. We're going to call him the beast anyway, even though he wasn't the beast yet. The prince. The prince, he had everything. And, and it would have seemed like he would have just been happy. It would have seemed like he would have had a heart that was full because he had everything that he could have possibly wanted. But internally there was no love in his heart. Internally, there, there, there was just death inside of his body. And this is a story that, that has gone through generations because it hits home with every generation of life. And it's an unfortunate truth that we see played out in the news week after week, month after month. A person who has reached the highest place that they can go in their career field. They, they've attained exactly what they always wanted and, and they take their own life. And it's a huge tragedy, but I, I bring that up because no matter how much success, no matter how much wealth, no matter how much we have the applause of other people, that's never going to fix your heart. It's never going to bring wholeness to you that only God can give. And, and we see that in the beast life that even though he, he was handsome, he had a castle, he, he had everything that he wanted in his castle, that, as far as wealth and people, there was something missing. And 
This is true in our own life as well. And as we go through, I'm going to have four things that we see in the beast life that we might find familiar in our own life as well. And each one of these four things, I'm going to use the term love, but I'm going to put God right next to it because in 1 John 4, 8, we see that God actually lays ownership to the term love. He says God is love. And, and that God defines what the picture is of love because we have this foggy picture of love in our culture where it's like we use the same term like, you know, I, I love my Savior, I love my spouse, and I love pickled pig's feet, and you know, and it's like, how can I feel the same way about this as I feel about this? And if you love pickled pig's feet, there's something wrong with you. I'm sorry on that. I can't. I, uh, but but we, we use this term love across this huge range of things that we enjoy, when, when really love is supposed to be something deeper, something more significant than that. And the, the problem is that we have then said, okay, this is, you know, love is all of this. It, it's all of this general stuff. It's all of this just, you know, be nice, don't, don't be mean, like you get, get rolled over if you have to, be, be a pushover, and, and somehow mixed all these ideas into what love is, and then that has infiltrated our marriages, our family relationships, the way that we treat our children, and it's, it's confused all of this. And so what I want to do is I want to call us back to what Scripture describes as being love, and, and I want us to, to live towards that, and there's some things that, that are just natural to happen, like, you know, a lack of love in your life, it results in selfishness. Or, or as the, the passage says in ver verse 5, it says that love does not demand its own way. Or some of your translations will say, love is not self-seeking. One, one of the first things that we need to understand about, about love is that if we have a lack of, of, of God-designed love in our life, living the way that, and loving the way that God has told us to love, it's going to result in a lot of selfishness. And, and if you don't think that you struggle with selfishness, uh, a really quick way to, to show where you're at with that is get married. Because if you think getting married is going to fix your problems, you're wrong. It's just going to give you a whole bunch of new ones. You know, put anyone in the same house as you and share space together, share fridge space together, see what happens when you leave leftovers from the restaurant and then they disappear and see what happens about how much you care about your stuff and yourself. Yeah, you're laughing because you've got angry at someone for eating your leftovers. You know, like it, it, it's just, it, it's part of it. We have this natural compulsion to be selfish. But, but love is supposed to direct us in the opposite way. It's supposed to, it's supposed to guide us. And, and love is not self-seeking or love does not demand its own way. This has got to be part of the DNA of a Christ follower. This has to be part of the DNA of a church. And for me as the pastor, I was looking ahead at the calendar and saying, okay, we meet in a school and we want to partner with the schools and I've got to plan ahead. And so I'm looking at the beginning of this new school year and I just, I feel like God is pushing on my heart. We as a church should do something to help kids going back to school. We have so many kids in Lee County who their families struggle to get backpacks, supplies, get a haircut and get their kid ready for school. And I just began to feel like I want to do something. But you know, we're only seven months old as a church. It's going to be like a, a drop of rain in, the, in this ocean of need. Like how are we supposed to make a difference like we might be able to do like 50 backpacks filled with supplies but that's that's not even like the need for one school and I struggled with this like insignificance like maybe I should do something else where we feel like we're making more of a difference but I just couldn't get away from God pushing me in this direction of saying you know don't worry about how this looks don't worry about yourself just worry about the people that I've called you to help and whether it's 25 or 50 or 75 it doesn't matter you're responsible for doing what I asked you to do and so I was like, okay, we're gonna, we'll, we'll do this and we'll start talking. We'll really start talking about this as a church in July, but we're gonna, 
we're going to help some kids with back-to-school stuff. And then the next week, I was talking with a lady, and she said, so what do you guys got planned for your church coming up? I said, well, this is one of the things I'm preparing for. And she said, oh, that's awesome. I actually work at a salon, and we were just talking about wanting to do something. Can we bring all of the ladies who cut hair at our salon to your event and just give kids free haircuts to go back to school? And I was like, yeah, you can do that. Like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And so now it's like, okay, like I was concerned this would be insignificant. Now it grew a little bit. And then I was at this network with some other business leaders and they asked what's coming up with the church. And I told them, well, you know, we're gonna do this and we're gonna give some haircuts. And they said, you know what? We wanna help with that too. We're gonna buy school supplies and we're gonna donate school supplies. And so now it's okay. Now, now this thing has gotten bigger. But let me tell you, this, this is how it works. When we aren't inwardly focused, but we do the things that God asks us to do, even if they feel beneath us, even if they feel smaller, than, than what we should be doing, because we're so important, we should be doing big things, but the small thing that God has asked us to do, when we do it, he, he begins to increase the significance, he begins to increase the blessing around it, and, and he uses it in ways that we couldn't have imagined, even if it's a small step. And the thing that was kind of pushed on my heart is, is, you know, where scripture says, don't despise these small beginnings because the Lord loves to see the work begin. Or when Jesus was teaching, he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, like, we just need these small steps, and especially in fighting selfishness. It's a small step around the house to fight against selfishness. But when we do that, when we take that step, God begins to use it in, in big ways, bigger ways than we, we would have expected. Love is not self-seeking. But, but as we saw, and as we're kind of paralleling the story today, it, that this prince, he was so selfish that the enchantress made his outside match his inside, and he became this this beast both internally and externally let's go to the next clip oh, oh, no, wait, wait, wait. roses i nearly forgot see here i promise bella rose That's what happens around here when you pick a flower. A life sentence for a rose. I received eternal damnation for one. 
I'm merely locking him away. Now, do you still wish to take your father's place? Come into the light. Won't lose you too. Now go. Go. <coughs> All right, Papa, I'll leave. When this door closes, it will not open again. I should have been with you. No. Now listen to me. It's all right. Live your life and forget me. Forget you. Everything I am is because of you. I love you, Belle. Don't be afraid. I love you too, Papa. I'm not afraid. And I will escape, I promise. What? You took his place. He's my father. He's a fool. So are you. A life sentence for a rose. That might be an overreaction. I don't know. And maybe as you watch that, that clip, I, I kind of always put myself into shoes of characters, and I think I most naturally feel like the person who would be getting wronged, but I want to encourage you for just a moment to, to analyze, you know, have you been in the shoes and the paws of the beast? Have you held unforgiveness over someone else? Because, you know, he mentioned he, he was put in this state because of a rose, because he rejected a rose, and so he's giving someone else a life sentence because of a rose, and so it seems fair in his mind. It happened to him. It should happen to someone else. He's going to punish someone else. Is there someone in your life that you've been punishing for a mistake, maybe even a mistake that's similar to one that you made? Forgiveness, it's, it's a difficult thing because it always deals with, they may have wronged me in a, in, in a real way. Like this other person, they have hurt me. And forgiveness isn't about saying that that, that didn't hurt, that that didn't happen. Forgiveness is saying that we're going to deal with it. And scripture has set a very high bar for how, the, how we forgive other people. And the truth is that, that God is in our heart, if God is in our life, and therefore love is in our life, then a lack of love results in unforgiveness, and so we have to change this. Jesus taught in Matthew 18 this parable about a servant who owed an incredible amount of money to his master. It was unpayable in his lifetime, and his master called him to accounts on it, and he knew that if he couldn't pay, that he would be thrown into jail for the rest of his life. And he came before his master, and he pleaded. He said, just be patient with me, and I will pay you back. And the master felt pity on him, and he said, you know what, I'm just going to wipe your debt out, and you go. And maybe in the act of thinking about that debt, it reminded him of someone who, who owed him about $100. And so he went to this person and grabbed him by the throat and said, pay me my debt now or I'll put you in jail. And he said, the other servant said, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. And he had no patience for him, had him put in jail. And the other servants saw this and went back to the master. And the master was furious and brought him in and said, how could you do this after I showed this amazing amount of forgiveness to you? How could you hold someone to account for such a little offense when I forgave you so much? And the lesson is obvious and it translates over generations and throughout countries and and cultures because we all deal with this 
thing of having to forgive other people. Ephesians 4.32 describes it this way, forgive as Christ forgave you. And it's all painting the same picture. That we know when we come to God through Jesus Christ that we are forgiven for every mistake, past and future. We know that he wipes it all away. And he says, if I can forgive you of all of that, you can forgive your brother or your sister of whatever it is that happened. And I understand the challenge that that presents on the head and the heart for some things that happened that were significant. But that's what we're called to move towards. We cannot live in unforgiveness. Uh, I love the quote about bitterness or unforgiveness. Keeping unforgiveness in your heart is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It hurts us when we hold on to it. And here's another great, great quote for you. Your lack of ability to forgive doesn't expose the greatness of their sin. It exposes the weakness of your love. Your lack of ability to forgive doesn't expose the greatness of their sin. It exposes the weakness of your love. I want to push you on this because I want you to forgive the people who have hurt you in your life. Not for their sake. Not just because scripture says to. But because it's good for you. It will help you as you let go of these things. And you allow God to heal that area of your life. Because when we try, try to hold things back and restrict God from working in any one area of our life, it is unhealthy for us. It hurts us in the long run as we try to keep things separate from other people and from him. Let's go to this next clip. I don't understand why you're being so kind to me. Surely you're as trapped here as I am. Don't you ever want to escape? The master's not as terrible as he appears. Somewhere deep in his soul, there's a prince of a fellow just waiting to be set free. Maybe I mentioned something about the West Wing. Never you mind about that. Off to bed with you, Poppet. Good night. Nighty night. people discover the hidden parts of you, isn't it? When there's something in your past or something in your, your current style of living that someone sees and you didn't want them to see it, we, we want to be guarded. We want to get angry. We want to push them out of that space as quickly as possible because there's something about us that we, we don't want to seem 
too weak. We don't want to seem like we can't figure it out on our own. We don't want to seem like we have vulnerabilities. We don't want to seem like we have faults. And so we tend to push people away, which is dangerous because when we're hurting, when we're suffering, when we have something that we need help dealing with it, we need people. And in fact, God's process of working issues out of your life, it's called people. God has designed you to be helped by other people and designed you to be a help to other people. The way that scripture talks about the church is that we're one body. We are one body with many different pieces and each one of us is a piece and when one of us is missing, each one suffers. We can't, we're not supposed to be able to do life without each other. Ecclesiastes talks about it this way. It says, it says if, you, if you're by yourself and you fall down, that, you, that you're to be pitied. It says two is better than one. Pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. We have to have people in our life. And a lack of love, a lack of God in our life, it rejects help. The way that the, the passage says it is that love is not proud. If, if our pride has been hindering us from dealing with things in our life, we need to take the bold step of setting our pride behind us and letting someone know what's going on. And I want you to know that this is true of so many areas. This is true of depression, which is so common, and it's like silent suffering. And if you've been walking through that, you need to let someone know. If there's a habit or an addiction or a substance that's taking control of you, you need to let someone know. Scripture says, confess your sins one to another and be healed. There, there's a part that we need each other, that God has designed us spiritually to be with each other as we walk through life's challenges. And don't let your pride separate you and isolate you from other people when, when you need help. And I understand it, it's hard to say that I need help. But when we take that step God begins to work in ways that we wouldn't have imagined. When we allow someone to know what's going on, love is not proud. Let's go to the next clip. And said, you're making everything look so beautiful, we should have a dance tonight. I never imagined she'd actually say yes. What was I thinking? No, Mastel, it's perfect. The rose has only four petals left, which means tonight you can't tell her how you feel. I feel like a fool. She will never love me. Do not be discouraged. She is the one. I wish you'd stop saying that. There is no one. There's no way she could ever love me. There's no way that things could ever change. This is just who I am. This is how I'm going to be. I'm, I'm too old to be any different. That it's not my fault I'm this way, but I'm this way. You're just going to have to deal with me. Things could never change. It's a popular sentiment that, that we've experienced, that we've maybe had in our household and probably had those words coming out of our mouth. And I want to tell you that whatever your life has looked like in the sentiment of saying, you know, things could never change. If you were just by yourself on your own to change your life, I'd probably agree with you. You, you messed up your life and you probably can't, can't fix it on your own. You really can't fix it on your own. You weren't designed to fix it on your own. And you weren't designed to just have other people help you fix it either. But God is supposed to be part of the equation. And, and that's how we know that things can change. For the Christ follower, for the person who is a Christian and says, you know, says things could never change, that doesn't make sense. Because when you say that, you're not talking about what you can do. You're talking about what God can do. 
When you're a Christian and you're saying God has his hand on my life, that I am his dearly loved child, to say that my life can't change is to, to put a huge limitation on the power of God, which is absurd. Because we know that God can do anything and that he loves you and he wants to see good things ahead of you, that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And, and so if you have had this mindset of, of things will never change, the thing that stands in stark contrast to that is the way that love is described, the way that God is described, the attitude that we're supposed to take on in verse 7 is that love always hopes. And a lack of love, it doubts that things can ever change. A lack of God doubts that things can ever change. But when God is in the equation, we know that you know, through all things we're more than conquerors. We know that we, that we can do all things because of a Christ at work in us. We know that he is able to do whatever he wants in my life, in my family, in my marriage. And if you've been limiting God in your life, I want you to open up your eyes to the truth of who he is and the fact that he's able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. A lack of love doubts things that can change. But when we hope, we can see something that maybe isn't true yet, but we understand that it's about to happen. Love can see what others cannot see. Love can see things in other people and in themselves that maybe is not true yet to everyone else as they look on to the situation. And we're going to get into our last clip here as as we wrap up the message and continue on in that. Bro! You came back! I tried to stop them! Stay there!
All right, there's a part in that clip that just seriously, like, it gives me chills when I watch it because it just, it, it's so in tune with the message of the gospel. And it's not the kiss. It's not when he finally gets, like, punched Gaston in the face and grabbed him by the throat. But it's the part where he has Gaston out, and, and Gaston's pleading for his life, and he pulls him in close, and he says, I am not a beast. And, and it's this moment where, where he internally has changed even though the exterior he's still got fangs and he has hooves and he's covered in fur and he looks like a beast but he says i'm not a beast i'm someone different and and this is the picture uh, of what hope looks like saying this isn't really who i am there's something different in my heart and there's something different that i'm going to become and transformation always happens after something happens internally. The external will change after the internal changes. You can't fix your life first and then come to God, but you've got to come to God and let him have your heart. And then those other things on the outside will change in time. He doesn't want your behaviors. He wants your heart. When the heart changes, everything changes. And it all starts with little steps. You know, to go back... (laughs) This was kind of a funny thing. Some of you guys might have been around when, when it happened. I got the news last Sunday, last week on Sunday morning, that the principal of Island Coast High School is changing. And it's just one of those things, casually mentioned, no big deal. For a church planter, it's a big deal. <laughs> like, the place where we meet might have to change because if a principal comes in and says, we don't want this here right now, then we have to, have to go. And so that week, I pretty much immediately went and did a very Paul thing to do. I found out what school she's working at and went and showed up where she works and got a meeting with her and sat down and was like, so, you know, tell me about yourself. Let me tell you about our heart as a church and that we really want to partner with the school. want to make sure she understands the identity that we want to have in this community. And she says, that's awesome. And, you know, I think I actually have something that I'd love for you to partner with me on. I was dreaming about doing this just little back-to-school thing for our kids. And I want to give away some supplies and maybe some backpacks and maybe do some fun things there for them. And I was thinking about July 28th, and I was like, well, July 29th, I've already got it on my calendar. She says, how about I join you for that? And I'll send a mailer out to the entire freshman class to invite everybody to come and get backpacks and as many haircuts as you can do. And, And this little thing that I felt like God was asking me to do this little thing that was beneath me that I could find bigger things to do with our time and our resources, is now grown into this thing where other business owners, a hair salon, the principal, and potentially much of the freshman class of Island Coast High School are going to be involved in it. But this is how the kingdom of God works. God asks you to take a small step, and he uses that small step of obedience to do something bigger than what you could have imagined. And I'd say that it starts with your heart first. When you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Scripture says that you will be saved. And if you haven't taken that step, that's where you got to go first. Because when you take that step, you're going to experience a new life, this fresh start that only God can give you. But many of us, you know, because of life, we've, we've had our struggles with, you know, doubting that things can ever change. We've rejected the help of other people. We've allowed unforgiveness to just stay rooted in our life. We've got into some selfish habits. And for the Christ follower in the room, I always 
when we teach, I always want to bring something practical to you. If you've been struggling with one of those four areas, would you just, this week, talk with one of your family's members about it, someone who's close to you, to say, you know, I feel like I need to step forward in, in forgiving someone else. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but I, I just feel like I need to step forward to that. Or, or selfishness, I just feel like I've been doing, I've been too focused on myself lately. And I'm going to take a step forward in that. And I believe that saying it out loud is important. As I said before, in Scripture, confess your sins one to another and you'll be healed. When we take these simple, small, practical steps, God shows up in huge ways. And He can take, you know, our heart and life that feels fragmented and He can heal it and put it back into one when we trust it into His hands. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much that even when our life has been a mess, that there is hope. That because of what Christ has done on the cross, and because of his resurrection, we can have new life. So Father, we trust you today. And as we follow that simple, small step you put ahead of us, we trust you with the results. So Father, be at work. We thank you for the opportunity you give us in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers are going to come forward now um, to receive the tithes and offerings. If this is your first time at Gulfside, please know there's no pressure to give. But as we have this vision and this purpose for our city, you know, we give to honor God and we give to push this vision forward. And so I thank you for honoring God and for your generosity. Also, if it's your first time, on the bulletin you received as you entered the room, there's this little tear-off on the bottom. If you would fill that out and tear it off and bring it to the next steps table. We would love to give you a free gift. We have an awesome coffee mug, some water bottles, chip clips that we'd love to give you, any of those that, that you would enjoy having. Please fill that out so that we can keep up with you. We're so thankful that you're here today, and we're trusting that your heart's encouraged. You can go ahead and stay seated for this closing song.